Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Lisa Schumann. She's a licensed clinical social worker and a leading expert in family building. And she has helped people around the globe build the families of their dreams. Lisa Schumann has lectured extensively and written numerous articles about family building. She also runs workshops and offers counseling for parents and children who have formed their families through sperm and egg donation or adoption. Welcome, Lisa Schumann. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, I think it's interesting in, in your bio and in the reason, one of the reasons that we asked you to be on the show is this idea of family building. You know, it's changing in New York with a change in, in, um, surrogacy laws. And I think that with just the change in so many different kinds of laws over the last few years, the idea of family building is growing. And so for you, what does it mean and, and how does it sort of work? First of all, thanks again for having me on the show, and um, I'm so happy to talk about this because this will, will mean a lot of people who formerly had to leave New York in order to pursue surrogacy no longer need to leave New York, and um, other people who want to use New York law but may want to use a clinic outside of New York, they can do that as well, but it just makes things so much easier for everyone, and as you know, this is you know an antiquated law that's taken a long time and a lot of hard work by a lot of people to try to get move forward. And it's not perfect. Um, there's still a lot of tweaking to be done, but it, it is a big a huge step, step forward. Direction. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I feel very fortunate because I was actually the only therapist that was uh, asked to uh, testify in front of the State Judiciary Committee for legalization of compensated surrogacy. So I was really able to be there on the front lines in this whole process, and I feel very grateful to be part of this. And it's really been a, a wild journey, a bit of a, as you probably know, a bit of a sticky law at the moment. But um, yeah. even so, it's it's still better than it was. So we're very grateful for that. Yeah, so that's wonderful. So and from your view... Can you describe what the change in the law has been and what it means to families who are looking to have children with the use of a surrogate? Well, I can't speak from the legal part of it because I'm, I'm not an attorney. Um, but from what I understand, there are, you know, some good things and not good things. Some of the good things include being able to be a intended parent in New York, being able to use a clinic in New York, and being able to use a surrogate in New York. Some of the negative things are there's going to be a lot of paperwork. Some of the rules seem a little bit backwards. For example, in most states, surrogates need to, and according to the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, surrogates need to have had children. We want, we want to know that there is a proven uterus there. In New York law, they don't need to have that. There's also um, 
other rules about paperwork and things the clinics will have to do. So it's it's complicated and some things are a little bit backwards from what I understand. Again, I'm not an attorney, but I think that they, those things will be navigated well by um, you know everyone who's involved, and I and hopefully some of the the rules will be tweaked over time. All right. So can you help us understand, Lisa Schumann, what the surrogate's role is? So, um, so first I, I just want to say that, you know, for all your listeners who are thinking about this or contemplating surrogacy or who, who have been through it, you know, you're not alone. And believe it or not, between 2014 and 2017, transfers, meaning an embryo transfer at a clinic into a gestational carrier, between 2014 and 2017 have increased 146%. Wow. So this is something that's, yes, um, growing tremendously. I think that um, the legalization of gay marriage certainly helped that. Uh, we don't know for sure because the the uh, same-sex male couples were not tracked until 2017, until they've started to be recorded, but we uh, suspect that that's primarily the reason why. And so we think this trend will continue the... Um, the Family Equality Council has done a, a large study on LGBTQ family building, and what they've discovered was almost the same amount of LGBTQ millennials plan to grow their family as heterosexual millennials. So, you know, the gap is narrowing, and, you know, families are, com- are coming into the world in all different ways. So that's really great, and and um, and yeah, and it just and offers so, so many options. It seems Lisa Schumann for you know non-traditional families, or even in traditional families where their fertility is an issue, to become parents and experience the joy and the struggle that you know mm-hmm. that 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 brings. Mostly joyful, <laughs> but definitely challenging. The biggest lesson lessons learned in my life, for sure have been as a parent, and I think that is a tremendous opportunity, and it changes, you know, perhaps the landscape of of what it looks like and who can be parents and what families look like, right? And I think that's super exciting to think what is a family and how can we create it if it's, you know, different from... I don't love to use the word traditional for things that seem old fashioned <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's like, oh, traditional values. And that seems like such a good thing, but it's not always a good thing, is it? Right. Right. No, yes. Uh, um, and, you know, we know that this technology, along with donor conception, brings so much relief to so many people. Um, you know, there are basically four categories of people who need surrogacy. There are men and women who are single who decide to pursue it, which primarily men and female couples, transgender women, and then, of course, people who are, who've undergone some sort of medical treatment like chemotherapy where they're, they're, they can no longer use their uterus. And um, many of them also who have not frozen their eggs in advance need to use um, donor eggs as well. So, I definitely want to talk about the role of the donor, but I really just want, if you could just explain for the listeners what the role of the surrogate is, how it works, you know, and what your experience is with that. Well, I so I've been working in this industry um, for almost 25 years now, and surrogacy has certainly changed quite a bit. I think in a, a lot of ways for the better, surrogates, the surrogacy contracts are pretty much boilerplate, and so everyone kind of comes into this knowing what to expect. There are lots of 
uh, Facebook groups and surrogates talk to each other all over social media. And so everyone knows what they're getting into. And I think that helps a lot. Uh, you know, 20 plus years ago when I was looking into it myself, it was, you know, really patchwork together on the East Coast anyway. The West Coast was far ahead of us. And um, there was lots of back and forth and arguing. So, you know, this is a little bit more streamlined now and everyone knows what to expect. And it's really, a you know, a beautiful experience. I, the way that I work is I see the intended parents for about an hour and a half and educate them on everything they need to know about the process. I screen the surrogates and give them a uh, psychological test, which screens for psychopathology and also has two indicators for lying. So we have an overt and covert lying scale. So if the donor is trying to be somebody she's not or she's trying to hide aspects of herself that she doesn't want us to see, then we see that too. And then, of course, everything would be thrown out because she could be lying about her medical history or anything else. So although there's no bulletproof way to screen people, donors and surrogates, we have a pretty good method. And that is part of the guidelines from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. And then I meet with the surrogate and her partner, if she has one. And then we all meet as a group to try to ensure that everyone's on the same page. We really want to make sure that everyone is set up for success. We don't want issues to arise six months or eight months later. We really want to make sure that everyone is in agreement on all the important issues to consider in the surrogacy journey, you know, and their relationship. I'm Catherine Miller. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 and also available as a podcast wherever you get podcasts. We would really like it if you would subscribe to the podcast, which you can do on your podcast channel or on the podcast website, which is divorcedialogues.com. And certainly if you have any family law issues, please call the law firm 914-862-7487. Speaking today with Lisa Schumann about surrogacy in New York, which is the laws recently changed to permit certain kinds of surrogacy. And my understanding, Lisa Schumann, is that the way that it works in New York, at least, is that it's permissible to work with a surrogate to carry the pregnancy, but not using her eggs, and that we we have to work in that circumstance with a donor egg. Is that correct? And if, if it is, what is the role of the donor? Yes, we learned long ago that it's it's really not advisable for a surrogate to use her own eggs. We don't want there to be that attachment. And so we use donor eggs with a surrogate, and the donor will go through basically the first half of an IVF cycle. She'll take medication to stimulate her ovaries and produce eggs, and then the eggs are retrieved, and then they are fertilized with the sperm of either one of the partners or um, with a donor sperm, and then that embryo that's created is transferred into the uterus of the surrogate, and she carries the baby of the intended parent. What's your experience in terms of the sperm of the choice of couples and what goes into the decision whether or not to use one member of the couple's sperm or donor sperm? Well, for gay men, they often would prefer to publish some research last year that was presented at the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. We find that most male couples really want to use sperm from both of their genetics, and so they typically use both of their sperm 
with the donor's eggs, and that way we have embryos created by both of them, and make, that way they can have children, one child from each or as many as they like. And people who are, you know, transgender women will, um, it depends if they have sperm, if they, they decide to go off their medication, off their hormone in order to produce sperm or not. Otherwise, they might need to use a donor sperm. For people who've had medical conditions, they may or may not also need a donor sperm. So it really depends upon who the intended parent is. Have there been any studies done on, on the psychological impact of having a child who's rela- biologically related to one parent but not the other, to your knowledge? Not that I know of, but we do. I mean, if we kind of flip that around and look at research that's done about families who mm-hmm. use donor conception, so people have, who've used a donor for either one or both partners, those children are doing fine. Similarly, we've seen over you know decades of, of research in adoption that sees families parent very well, and they don't see their children as being disconnected to them because they don't have their genetics. You know, these families are, are doing fine. Yeah, so I think that's probably true, but I, I do find that, you know, when we work with a divorcing family and where this is an issue, or, I mean, not an issue necessarily in the divorce, but it, it's something that's happened. It's part of the history of the family that sometimes it brings up some pretty strong feelings, um, you know, on both sides about what that means. And so I'm just wondering if there are any, if anybody has tracked it, you know, to your knowledge or, you know, what the impact is. I'm sure, I think probably in the overwhelming majority of situations, it's totally fine and I'm not objecting to it at all. I'm just wondering if that there's sort of additional pressure or, or talking or anything that, you know, goes into accepting that situation. Um, I think, in, you know, in the happily married couples, everything works out really well. In the families that I see getting divorced, everything becomes inflated, of course, right? And right. I've worked with many, many couples who you know, let's say they they create embryos or they decide to begin their family when they're in their, you know, early or mid-30s and they they make embryos and they have one child and then they get divorced and they still have those embryos. And now the woman says, well, I, I want to have another child and this is my only chance because now I'm too old to use my eggs to have another child. And then there's, you know, this battle between the divorced couple and so for me, uh, you know, in those circumstances, whether the child is conceived with a donor egg or not, it doesn't seem, you know, in my experience to be any different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This is Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking today with Lisa Schumann about surrogacy law. And Lisa, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about surrogacy, what, what can they do and, and how can they reach you? Yes, so they could reach me through my website. It's www.familybuilding.net. Familybuilding.net is my website. And Lisa at familybuilding.net is my email address. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions anyone has. Uh, if they take a look at my website, I have a lot of information. I have a book list. I have lots of videos and a blog. And also on my Instagram account, the Center for Family Building, I record um, videos on donor conception that I publish every week. And so there's a lot of information there. 
That's great. So let's let's uh, we've talked about it in reference up till now, and I think some our listeners can certainly think through situations for people who would use donation or surrogacy. But let's be pretty ex- explicit about it. In your experience, who? Is interested in in using a surrogate. Who's interested in being a surrogate? Not not names, obviously, but you know the kinds of situations that bring this up. So, from the surrogate point of view, what we find typically the the typical stereotypical profile of a surrogate is usually somebody who sees themselves as altruistic. Um, most of these women feel that they've always wanted to do this. I see many surrogates every week, and almost always they say, I've wanted to do this for a very long time. I wanted to do it before I had children. I've always thought about doing it. I love being pregnant, and I don't want to have any more children. And so that's kind of the typical profile. Of course, some other, some people don't fall within that profile, but many people do, and we find that women really feel very strongly about doing this. And it makes sense because even though they're compensated and they're compensated fairly well, it's not the same as, let's say, an egg donor who's compensated very well for two weeks of a medical process. This person is going to be in the intended parent's life for over a year. They're under, going to undergo a lot of medical testing and take a lot of medication. And, of course, they're putting their life at risk being pregnant. So it makes sense that this sort of personality type would really be attracted to being a surrogate. And the people who use surrogacy are typically people who don't feel as comfortable with adoption and or they decide that they want to use their own eggs and or sperm to carry a child, but they can't use their uterus, either because they don't have one, the uterus is not working, or because of some other medical condition, which could be cancer, or it could be because they're transgender, or because, you know, there's a gay male couple. Okay, I think that's super helpful. And, you know, as an attorney, and thinking about how my firm or anyone else was working with a surrogacy situation, what's most important for us and other people to understand about each party's perspective and, and, and how to be most supportive to them? I realize that's a big question, so maybe we could break it down in parts. Yeah, it is a big question. I think I think it's important to know, so I'll just, just jump, jump into a couple of quick things. So I think that for single people who are going through it, they uh, very often, because it's almost the newer way of people, kind of a new trend, let's say, for lack of a better term, of people having family, more and more people like Andy Cohen or uh, Anderson Cooper are having children by themselves. And I find that many people feel uncomfortable with the idea. There's some guilt or they feel badly. They feel like maybe I should be in a relationship. Maybe the child should have two parents. And so there's still this old-fashioned idea kind of nagging at them that maybe they should have a partner. And so I think all the providers who are working with them to help them feel as entitled and happy about their process and empowered as possible, I think, is really very, very helpful to them. With gay male couples, I think there's a there's a lot that goes into it. As I said earlier, do they they need to think about if both parents are going to provide their genetic material. Sometimes there's a lot of discussion early on about things that are in the surrogacy contract, like they have to 
think about, you know, who they would leave their children to when something happens. And I think a lot of heterosexual couples who start thinking about their family think about that early, whereas I think a lot of people going through surrogacy and gay male couples have to face this right away. They, they're confronted with these issues right away because these things are in their contract. So there's a lot to sort out for them in the beginning, and even small things like you know, if the egg donor has an uneven amount of eggs, who's going to get the extra eggs? So they have a lot to sort out, and I think they need a lot of support. I think that there's also still some fear about trusting uh, the medical or legal community, and so they need to feel really welcome. With people who are going through medical issues, people with cancer patients, they have a, typically have a lot of support from their their hospital and their program. They've been in a situation where they've had to kind of hurry up and wait quite a bit. And so I think their stress level is understandably a little bit higher. They have to deal with all of these issues, um, the medical issues and the fertility issues. And so I think a little TLC and also more information, kind of walking them through their contract, giving them more time to explain things to them really helps because there's just so much for them to, to learn and they've already had to learn so much just going through their medical process. And then, um, you know, I think transgender women also, they have to, I think, coordinating with their doctors and their clinics help a lot because they have that extra layer of difficulty and often insecurity about pursuing parenthood and dealing with the legal and medical process that they feel be so friendly. Also, I think that it's good to have for all the all the law firms out there. It's good to to reconsider uh, reorganizing and maybe changing some of your forms just so that they're LGBTQ friendly, that they're gender neutral, and that they um, that people are referred to with the right pronouns. Yeah, I think that's a very good thought. So, what if someone is listening and thinking, you know? Surrogacy might be a great solution for me, whatever their situation is. What do you suggest they think about, or and, and if they decide they want to move forward, what are their first steps? So the first steps for them would be to, and they can do, do this in any order they want. They can choose the agency first. They can choose their lawyer first. They can choose the clinic first. I think it's easier to choose the clinic first and go through the process of making and creating embryos and then choose an agency and an attorney who's going to represent them or both and, um, and looking for a carrier. It can take several months to find a gestational carrier. So while they're in the process of going through, you know, medical clearance and choosing an egg donor, they can also start to look for a gestational carrier because that'll take some time. Is it very, very expensive? Very, very expensive, yeah. It's maybe um, around, I think, $150,000, give or take. So if you use an egg donor and a surrogate. And and does that include, like, legal fees, or is, is it that just for the, the whole sort of medical people physically involved in the in the process? Uh, yeah, that's usually soup to nuts, give or take. It yeah. can be anywhere from one hundred twenty dollars to $150,000, depending um, upon the, the cost of the agency, they have there. Some agencies are more expensive than others, but everything included is usually that much. It's very expensive. 
So Lisa, in our last minute, what would you suggest people, you know, think about and consider? I, maybe this would work for me, other than the cost, which is obviously considerable. What are other things that people should consider? Um, to get to be educated, I think that that people can can save themselves a lot of time and aggravation if they're educated well. We do, um, as I said, you know, hour and a half consults with intended parents, and I think getting all your ducks in order, really thinking about some of the big issues ahead of time, things they have to consider. I'm writing a book on uh, on egg and sperm donation right now, and I think that there's a lot to consider there too. And once you're educated on all of the things that you need to think about, then you can really get through the process a lot easier. So I think right. getting your education ahead of time is the best. And I guess your website, familybuilding.net, would be a great place to start. Yes, absolutely. Lisa Schumann, thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.